Yeah, so this is the end of our current series based on this book called Soul Keeping, um, which I just happened to have my copy in my bag and thought I'd do what Joe did, which is always hold it up. Um, and it's also, as Joe said, the start of Advent. Um, and we've looked at a number of different things over the last few weeks about how we can feed our souls, how we can have um, souls, this thing that is kind of the depth of who we are, being places of, um, of life and of growth. And today we are going to be looking at a slightly different aspect of it, which is when our souls struggle. Because the soul is this deepest expression of who we are as, a per as people, as a person. And therefore, it's also the place where we experience our greatest pain. And sometimes, even when we are doing all we can to feed our souls, it doesn't feel like it's working or it doesn't feel like it's enough. And there is a phrase you might be familiar with, which is the dark night of the soul. And it comes from a poem written by a Carmelite monk named John, or Juan, I assume, because he was like Spanish, but I'm not going to do that in the rest of the talk because I can't do it. So John, he was alive in the 16th century. So John was a reformer, um, but I, I resonate with John a bit because I feel like I could have been in a similar situation to him at his time and the fact that he wanted to change things. It's something I quite enjoy doing, seeing change in things. But his fellow friars did not appreciate the things he was trying to change, so much so that they locked him in a room, a dark room, for months on end. They uh, beat him um, and lots of other not-so-nice things. And so John was in this situation, this very dark place, and he wrote the words of his famous poem, The Dark Night. The poem speaks of the pain of our souls when things are dark and we can't see God. So the dark night of the soul is not just about suffering, about having a difficult time. It is that, but it's more than that. It's a difficult time when it feels like God is silent or absent. It's when the practices that we use to feed our souls and which we've been talking about in the last few weeks, no longer work. We are searching after God, but we cannot seem to find him. And I just wanted to make a note here that this isn't um, talking about kind of depression or mental health, although these things are all very complex and interlinked, but I'm not, I'm not referring to that as I'm talking about this. I just thought that that was helpful to say. Um, and in Psalm 22, which Joe just read, we see David in a moment like this. He takes us on an emotional journey, going back and forth between outlining how tough his situation is and how he feels that God has abandoned him. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. But then he declares that God is still trustworthy and worthy of praise. Not only is it a great example of how we can be completely honest with God, but it shows us how we can still love and worship God even when we are in our darkest moments. For St. John of the Cross, which is what this monk became known as, we were created with a longing for God. But in our lives, we have come across so many distractions, don't we? 
habits, addictions, just life going on. And those things get in the way of our connection with God. Even our ideas about God can become more important than God himself. And so the dark night for St. John of the Cross was a space where our anguish enables us to question these distractions, because not even these distractions work anymore. And it also gives us insight into where we can become stuck. The dark night is about learning to love God for his own sake, for who he is, not for the things he fixes in our lives or the things he gives us, our blessings, or those warm, fuzzy feelings we can get in his presence, but just for being God. Even when he feels absent, we choose to trust, love, and follow him. The darkness in and of itself doesn't do anything, but choosing to love God in the darkness is the key thing. But the tricky thing is that the darkness is often where we give up, lose interest, or even grow bitter. Um, a kind of analogy, the other night um, I was at West, West Mid Urgent Care Unit with my son Max, who had possibly fractured his elbow. He had not fractured his elbow. Um, we arrived at about eight o'clock in the evening, um, eventually left at 3 a.m., having not seen a consultant. Um, and I spent a lot of that time going back and forth in my head between, you know, should I even be here? Has he even broken his arm? Should we just be in bed right now? What on earth am I doing? We might be seen any minute, you know, you know the things that go around your head. But at about 2 a.m., I hit this absolute wall. Max was asleep on me, bless him, he'd been asleep on me since 10 o'clock. West Mid waiting room chairs are not made to have a heavy five-year-old sat on another person pushing your back into the seats behind you. I do not recommend it for a second. Um, at 2 a.m., I just got to this point where I was like, I had no battery on my phone. I had no, couldn't call anyone. I felt so alone, like literally tears rolling down my face in that space. And people would catch my eye and just look away. It was like this ridiculously lonely space. Can we just all agree that if we're in West Mid, we talk to someone else? That would just be super kind. Um, and, but it just reminded me of that, like how that time of night is where we give up, isn't it? It's too much. It was that kind of time of night when my babies weren't sleeping, when I'd be like, please, just, I can't keep going. So it is interesting that it's the dark night. There are, these are the times when we do actually naturally give up. But the thinking around the dark night is that surrendering to the process allows God to work in us. If we push through the darkness, we will feel God's presence more deeply and grow into new ways of being. We are being guided by God even in times of his apparent absence. And in through doing that, we realize that we can't do this alone and that we are in God's hands. Gerald G. May, who is a psychologist and spiritual writer, says, sometimes the only way we can enter the deeper dimensions of our journey is by being unable to see where we're going. And the encouragement from St. John of the Cross is that in these moments we need to sit and wait. We don't despair, we lay down our frustration and our anger, and we rest. We let go of our need to hurry it along, to get through it. 
And most of all, we remember that we are not God. In this book, Soul Keeping, John Upberg had this brilliant line which just said, we can't run in the dark. And I, I really like that. Like, we, we try, don't we? We try to fix it. We try to explain it. We try to put, put things together. It kind of get, can get quite frantic in the way we think about things. But actually, we can't run in the dark. All we can do is sit and wait. And God isn't scared of the darkness. Um, as I was reading around this, um, I came, uh, someone in something I was reading pointed out that in the Old Testament, God was often imagined as a cloud rider. He was in the clouds, um, enshrouded in mist. And that, apparently this was viewed in kind of two ways. One thing is God being a mystery, which I think this whole thing of a dark night of the soul is something we need to remember, that God is mystery beyond human understanding. But also it was about God in the darkness when things aren't clear and straightforward, that was their imagery about God being in the cloud. Because in the dark night, it, does, it can appear as if God is absent, but he is only absent from what we can see. It's in the same way as in winter, we cannot see the life. Everything looks dead, yet it's all going on under the surface, and in spring we see the new life. So it might appear as though God is not with us, but he is. One of my absolutely all-time favorite moments, possibly in any story of any time, um, is in The Horse and His Boy, one of the Narnia series. And there is this scene where Shasta, the main character, is on a horse that he doesn't know, because he is friends with another horse, if you know the story, but this is a horse he doesn't know. And he is, has just, he's been through like this incredible journey, really difficult time. And he just found safety with a group of people. And they're all moving off together. And then him on this horse, this horse goes slowly and he gets separated from the group. And he ends up on a road at night over a mountain. He doesn't know where he's going. And all he can do is go on ahead and hope that he catches up with the people ahead of him. And this is like Shasta's dark night. And what happens in the story is that he's suddenly aware that there is breath beside him. And he's absolutely freaked out, obviously. And in the book, it says something like, um, when he finally has a reason to cry, he stops crying. And eventually, he says to this thing walking beside, you, beside him, who are you? And it is, of course, Aslan, who in the Narnia series is the representative of God. And they go on to have this conversation um, where, with, in just a few questions, Shasta ends up pouring out the whole of his difficult journey. He kind of just shares his whole heart with Aslan. And he expects Aslan to say, oh, you've had a terrible time. And Aslan says, well, well, he just goes through and he just marks all the spaces where he'd been with him on his journey, where he'd been at different lions and cats in different spaces, just trekking with Shasta over this whole journey. And for me, it's just always, since I was a kid, filled my heart because it resonates so much with how I see God at work in my life and in the world. This, this God who is with us, but we often don't recognize him. 
Moving on from that, the reading in Psalm 22 starts with this line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these are famously Jesus's final words on the cross before he dies. In fact, there are quite a few verses from this psalm, later on in the psalm, which prophesy about what happens at the crucifixion. And at this moment, just before Jesus dies, it appears that Jesus felt abandoned by his father. This is Jesus's dark night. Jesus fully entered into our world and experienced that sense of separation from God. But these words are not just the cry of Jesus on the cross. This is the cry of every single person on earth. It is our pain, our fear, our hurt and our despair being given a voice. Because there are times, aren't there, where we are broken to the very depths of ourselves and experience that abandonment in the way that Jesus did. And sometimes that's our dark night, and sometimes that is just life. In these moments, we can remember that Jesus knows how we feel. When we feel that God is ignoring us or, abandoning, or has abandoned us, Jesus knows how we feel. When we experience fear in the night and about our future, Jesus knows how we feel. When this world seems broken and we wonder what God is doing about it, Jesus knows how we feel. When we feel despised and rejected, abused and slandered, misunderstood and forgotten, and we wonder why God is doing nothing to protect us or defend us, Jesus knows how we feel. And even though we experience this forsakenness, we know from the rest of the story of Jesus that God did not forsake Jesus. There was a bigger story going on. The resurrection was three days away. And the same is true for us. We may feel abandoned, but we are no more abandoned than Jesus was. We may feel unloved, but that is no more true of us than it was for Jesus. Though Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? He was not forsaken and neither are we. The promise in Hebrews 13 is that God will never leave us or forsake us. And Psalm 22 says that we will never be put to shame if we put our trust in God. The people stood around the cross, mocked Jesus for trusting in God when seemingly all was lost. And look how that turned out. Even in our darkest moments, we have a God who we can trust. And this is one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith, that we have this God who is totally faithful, yet there are also times when he apparently forsakes us. We know he is a God of love and is faithful to us, but he doesn't always make things easier. We know he walks alongside us as we go through times of suffering, but he doesn't necessarily fix it. We, like Jesus, have times when we have to face the suffering. How do we hold these two opposite things together? How do we keep trusting in our faithful God in the bad times as well as the good? And St. John of the Cross, he encourages us that the light at the end of the darkness was brighter than anything he had previously experienced. John assures us that while the spiritual life will bring suffering and pain, the dark night is not the end, but it is preparing us for that new life. It's when we choose to love God through our spiritual dark nights that we are able to grow. 
One of my dark nights was when my dad died very suddenly when I was 22. Everything that had fed my soul up to that point became either too painful or just didn't work at all. God felt so far away and I wasn't even sure if I trusted him enough to be close anyway. He hadn't fixed this major thing and my life would never be the same again. It was a deep and long journey of grief and not linear in any way and you can't tie it up, you know, in a neat bow. But it is one that has resulted in a much deeper relationship with God, a much deeper relationship with myself, with my family and with close friends. And I'm left being grateful for the experience whilst also still wishing that it never happened. Another paradox. And as we enter into this Advent season, a time of waiting for Jesus, of making our hearts ready for him, of preparation, perhaps we can use this time to reflect back on other times where we have had to wait. Perhaps you have found, had a time of waiting, but you felt God near to you. Or perhaps you have experienced that dark night where God has felt distanced. How did you respond in those times? What did you learn? What can you take with you from those experiences, both positive and negative? Or perhaps you feel in that place right now. And I wanted to encourage you, if you hadn't done so already, to talk to someone about it, to be real about it, to ask someone to pray for you to stand with you in it. After my dad died, I just started going out with Dan. It was a bit of a, whatever you call that, trial by fire. <laughs> um, but one day, Dan's mum said to me, you know, what, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? And I said, actually, what I would really need is for you to pray for me every day. Um, because I'm really aware that my parents were praying for me every day up until that point, and my mum was really struggling, and my dad had died, and I suddenly felt like that gap. And so to know that Linda and Celia were praying every day for me, it just, it, it just carried me, and we can do that for one another. At a time when I couldn't really pray, to know that someone was praying for me. So if you are in that space, and you are struggling to know what to say to God, please do ask someone else to stand with you in it. And I encourage you not to rush through these moments, but to keep listening for God's breath, to lean in and to wait. At Advent, the child has not yet arrived, but we are joyful and confident in his coming. Even though we are yet in darkness, we celebrate the promise of the light. Let's pray. Mm. Yeah, Father, I thank you that that truth is real, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Whatever our experience, in the good times, in the bad, whether we can feel you or not, that you are always close. And Father, help us to be people that trust you in the good and in the bad. In your name, amen. <clears throat>